Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. the Fulhamish podcast your independent voice of Fulham FC my name's Sammy James welcome to the show today we're going to be looking back at Fulham's 2-0 defeat to Newcastle United in the fourth round of the FA Cup now normally Fulham losing in the fourth round of the cup to a slightly better team wouldn't be much to write home about but unfortunately there is quite a lot to discuss today um the unorganized boycott in quote marks uh, certainly uh, meant there was some controversy last night. Statements being rushed around on national TV. Lots of talk about being satisfied or unsatisfied with attendances. We're going to get into it all today, as well as looking at the football. Also, at the end of the podcast, we'll preview Tuesday's Premier League. It's nice to have a Premier League match again uh, against Everton at Craven Cottage. I am joined today by Dan Cook. Hello. Hi, Sammy. Jack Kelly. Hello. Morning, Sammy. And Tom Greatrix is here as well. Hello, Tom. Hi, Sammy. Let's just do some three-word reviews. Let's have a bit of a chuckle before we uh, dive into what's probably going to be certainly a serious-ish opening kind of 10, 15 minutes. I think we've all got things to say. Um, but Dan, let's do some three-word reviews and, uh, and lighten the mood before we get into that. Yeah, it's, uh, it was quite hard to find anything that actually related to what happened on the pitch last night, which is telling. Uh, but we'll go with, with a couple that I did like that were more game related so Kieran McGinley gave us Burns night again which I thought was was really good given Dan Byrne popping up again uh as well as Reese Benjamin we've got burned again there was a lot lot referencing our our former gangly when, when is burn when is Burns night that's pretty close it was like it? two days ago I think oh was 20, it okay yeah very good so very very topical and then, then we went through to the the more situational based three word reviews. So we had Jakob Kruper with stayed at home, TJ Foggs with not worth forty pounds. We had our very own Cam Ramsey with empty seat defeat, and finally, I went to Instagram for this last one. Simon Clemmy just gave us crowdfunder striker, which I liked as well. <laughs> Very nice. All right. Well, we'll go into some of the the controversy from last night first. So how it all started um, was a few weeks ago, really, when the prices for for this game were announced. And and slowly but surely, it felt like there was definitely a a good size amount of Fulham fans who decided not to go to last night's game. And that includes three of us on the podcast today. Jack was there uh, working uh, in the press box. And it felt like a good amount. And as the week kind of led up, it felt like this was going to be a really sparsely attended game. You looked at the ticket sales, particularly in the Hammersmith end, and it was red dots everywhere. Then it got to the match. um, And beforehand, uh, Laura Woods um, said this when she talked about uh, the potential low attendance tonight. Okay, well, Marco Silva will be focusing on the game tonight, but some fans will be electing to stay away from Craven Cottage. And the reason being is they're saying that the cheapest adult ticket for tonight's game is £40. They don't believe in the price hikes. They think it's going too far. um, And they would rather vote with their feet and and decide to stay away. This was then shared on ITV Football's Twitter feed. It was then subsequently deleted. And then the match started. And actually, there seemed to be... More people there than I expected. I will, I will at least caveat that. Uh, there was an attendance of just under 19,000 there last night, which is still well below what it normally is for a, for a Premier League match. Uh, and then after the game, um, 
there was kind of two sort of statements rushed out via, via two different mediums. So first of all, you had um, the Times' chief football correspondent, Henry, Henry Winter, who uh, basically said that the club was satisfied uh, with the attendance. And then Laura Woods um, on ITV seemingly looked forced, but we have no proof that that was the case, to say this. Tonight's attendance was just under 19,000, which is smaller than usual for a Premier League match. Um, but the club have come out and they want to make this clear they are very satisfied with that number, with that figure, given the run of successive home games that they've had and that ticket prices were priced very reasonably. And then ITV Football reshared all of the Twitter discussion, plus that sort of right of reply at the end, which is Fulham's right to have a right to reply. Let's get into what we thought of it. Um, I mean, Tom, there was indignation, it felt like, across large swathes of Fulham Twitter last night, which I know Fulham Twitter is not fully representative of the fan base, but I don't know. It felt like a, it felt like a shambles last night in terms of everything around Fulham and this loggerhead position that certain sections of the fan base and certain elements of the club seem to be at right now. It feels like it's reached an all-time low. It does feel uh, pretty bad. Um, I think it's been lower. Um, I mean, I guess in modern history, obviously, I, yeah, I completely yeah, yeah, in understand. Times, um, but I think you know it's probably worth taking a step back from the sort of the immediate reaction of uh, on social media, and that would have probably been not been as bad had we won. You know, you've got to take that into account as well. That that has some impact on the way that people feel immediately after a frustrating uh, defeat. But if you just think about for a second, you know, there were probably more people paid attention to what was said by ITV and ITV Twitter than there were people watching the game itself on ITV4. Um, that Fulham Football Club felt that they had to, or they, they, you know, put out those types of statements that they obviously spent huge amounts of time and effort and money in advertising, texting, ringing people, trying to get people to turn up and then effectively letting Newcastle fans have the home bit of the Putney end at the last minute and giving away, as I understand it, quite a lot of tickets to try to inflate the attendance and still end up in a position where it's so much lower than, than otherwise would have been, I think demonstrates something which you touched on, I think, on, on, on Monday, Sammy, is that you know it's got to a point now where it doesn't need to be an organised boycott. It doesn't need to be um, fuelled by uh, activism particularly. People have just got to a point and they've shown their feelings about the way in which they perceive fans are being treated and listened to or not listened to, and they've just drawn a line. And if I was running Fulham Football Club, I would be very worried about that. I'd be more worried about that than I would be about a, a sort of organised protest or organised event, because actually what you're what you've seen last night and what you will increasingly see I think unless you start to address some of these issues is that that disaffection begins to sour the atmosphere and have an impact on everything else that the club's trying to do and for that reason if the people running Fulham had any sense and any gumption and any real regard for what they're there for they would take this as a last warning yeah um Dan what was your take on uh, on everything that happened well I think one of the things just to pick up what Tom said is although the result last night wasn't good, as, as a whole, the atmosphere around the club regarding what's going on on the pitch has been really good for for three years now, right? Ever since Marco joined. And I think that also says a lot because you often see clubs in sort of turmoil with, with sour and fan bases that have turned against the club usually coincides with bad periods on the pitch. They see what's happening on the pitch. They then don't agree with what the club's doing off it and it, produce a really bad atmosphere. And I think this says a lot to me that overall, Fulham are in a really good place. Like, you know, we we love this squad of players. We love the manager. We love the coaching staff. And it's everything that happens outside of that bubble of the actual core of the club that is rotten. And I think it's such a big statement that we're standing up and being like, we are fully behind this team, but exclusively this team, because what is happening outside of that stinks. And I thought last night was really, really disgusting. And and to come out and say that, I think the big one was the, the comment that £40 isn't excessive. I think that was part of Henry Winter's tweet. And for that to come from people who are earning seven-figure salaries, 
yeah, I'm sure 40 pounds isn't excessive to you. Great. You know, but off the back of the December we had with a number of games and then this January where we had the first and second legs of the Carabao Cup to add on top of our season ticket prices plus the travel, 40 pounds is ludicrous. And I think Tom, you, you said you were at Ipswich against Maidstone yesterday. And I believe that was £10 tickets for adults. Yeah, and they they sold out the whole ground. And on Friday, I was at Bristol City Forest and it was £20, you know. And both games had full full crowds, full grounds, which is pretty much full grounds, great atmospheres, you know. And for season ticket holders, I think, that certainly Bristol City, there was a discount. Um, and, you know, people, cup games are extra, you know, so it's a way in which you can make a statement part, partially, but it also means if you're running the club well, you you understand that from the start and you adjust and uh, make your ticketing approach appropriate to that. And that's what Fulham certainly didn't do and could have done, could easily have done. If there was any sort of thought or sense about it, they could easily have done something similar to what Ipswich or Bristol City or Sheffield United did uh, for their cup ties this weekend. Yeah, it feels the the fact as well that fifty percent of the gate gets shared with the opposition club as well, just to make it feel even more pointless. Like these 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 gains are, are already marginal. When you start adding the fact that you literally have to give fifty percent of that away to other teams, it just feels even more Tom like. Why, why are we doing this? I, that's what I cannot get my head around. And, you know, I keep having to have the same argument with like, random people on Twitter who say it's to boost our transfer kitty. It's for this, it's for that. But it just feels so ludicrous. We've been over the mathematics of this over and over again. Well, look, I think there's, there's two schools of thought, and I'm not sure which one I, I fit into on this, is either it's just that they just don't care and it doesn't really match, and I don't put enough thought into it, and it doesn't really And sometimes I veer more towards this, that actually it's part of a strategy, it's part of a calculation and a choice, which is that, you know, effectively the social contract between the existing fan base and the club, the club think they need to break it. And they think they need to break it because they think, and I think falsely, that there is a reservoir of people out there who... Will cause less trouble, make less noise, um, but pay higher, pay higher tickets and prices, and be happy with it. Um, and you know, people say to me quite often: you know, if you look at a lot of the American owners that come into English football, there one of the things that unites a lot of them is their feeling that that English football as a product is undervalued, and there's more you can be made out of it. Um, but you know, if you do that, that might, that might be a, a school of thought and that might be an approach that some clubs have taken with um, similar types of owners. Um, but the savvy ones do that knowing there is a point to which you can push this. And if you go beyond that, then you're creating all sorts of trouble for yourself. You don't need to. And so, it's a, you know, it's either deliberate and they just don't care or it's clumsy. And I'm, you know, I swither between which one of those it is, but I don't think it's accidental completely. I really think they don't care. I really think they don't care. And the contempt with it which they hold us is is nuts. You know, you think of all of the PR spin that they've desperately tried to put in in the past 24 to 48 hours, uh, that they must think we're idiots, that, that suddenly they're going to put this out and they'll be like, oh, no, you know what? The attendance was exactly what we expected. We're really happy with it. When we know for a fact that multiple people checked the tickets before the game they went on i logged on i went and looked at the tickets available in the hammy end and i looked in my block and it was half sold and then suddenly kickoff happens and there are twice the number of fans in the hammersmith end then it's looked like tickets were sold that, that you know we're not idiots we know something's going on here we know that these tickets have been handing out for free and then it's so counterproductive that you know no one wins in that situation because they've given tickets away for free so they've missed out on that revenue and they've turned the fan base against them i don't know what they're hoping to achieve here well i I think they're definitely trying to save face to make it look not as bad as it was but look just take a step back from that a second and what i think as i said before they should really be concerned about is that people took almost organically, a decision that they weren't going to have part, be part of this. And that's something which, if you were running that club, you should be seriously concerned about. And it doesn't matter, you know, the drive-by attention or the sort of 
professionally um, uh, contrarians or the Florida sock puppets. It doesn't matter about their reaction. Actually, what matters is the people that I know of the, you know, dozens of people I spoke to in the sort of week before the game about whether they were going. I think there were three that said they were definitely going and a couple of extra that sort of relented and decided in the end to go. Most didn't. Most stayed away. Um, and they took that decision not because they were prompted to. They took that decision because they looked at it, at the situation and all of the context about the number of games and everything else and just said, no, no. And that's the core of your fan base has done that. Yeah. And what was funny last night was in, within those statements was the Fulham kind of saying like, well, given the fact that there's been so many games in a week, we're, we're, we're satisfied with the prices. So wait, you've just given a reason why maybe this game should have been priced lower within the context of your being satisfied of the statement. Um, Jack, I want to sorry bring you in here. I feel like we haven't yet. Um, obviously, you were in the ground last night. You were working um, with haters, so you were in the press box. What was that atmosphere like for those of us that, that were, weren't, weren't in the ground? I, I went to the ground knowing that it was going to be a difficult night. Um, for myself personally and for all, all the Fulham fans. And I knew that whatever the outcome of the game was, I was going to probably come away feeling pretty unhappy with, with proceedings. And the atmosphere was, you'll be surprised, brilliant because the Newcastle fans made the atmosphere brilliant. They, they were absolutely, honestly, every time I go and watch Newcastle, I'm blown away by their support. It's, it's phenomenal. However, I was not happy with a, a number of things. Um, I was pretty... I was enjoying the game up until they scored. I thought it was a well-contested game. Both teams were, were playing pretty well. And then suddenly Newcastle score. Not only do the Newcastle fans go crazy, that's fine. They're in the away end. Too many people were getting up and cheering in the Johnny Haynes. I mean, too many people were standing up and visibly cheering. And then it got to the point where it was so quiet in the ground for a second. And every time Newcastle got the ball into the final third, there was just a kid just shouting, Come on, Newcastle! I was just thinking, what? like, like genuinely, like within seats of me, and I was just like, "This isn't fun." Like, my head was gone by, by that point, and I was just like, "This can't be. This isn't right." And um, fair, fair play to Newcastle, the, the fans that are in the Putney, and they made a great noise. And Alan Shearer was there, and I can imagine that would have been amazing for for all of them. But um, in terms of the Fulham fans, I, I, I didn't hear much from from the Hammers event all night. Really, I think everyone was sort of just not really in the mood to, to get up for it after the midweek defeat and, and the circumstances around the game. It was just a very unhappy night. And I, usually when Fulham lose and I'm working, I have to stay ultra professional. And I'm like, yeah, you know, we lost the game, but on to the next one. But something about last night really got me and um, I couldn't really concentrate on what I needed to do. I started losing my head a little bit and just shaking my head at so many things that I was seeing and hearing around the around the ground. The game then finished, and and Newcastle fans were you know singing and Eddie Howe and the players were all clapping the fans. And then I just turned around and there's like a group of maybe five, six, seven Newcastle fans in the Johnny Haynes at the back just singing along. And obviously it's fine because all the ground's emptying. But what is this, man? This isn't this isn't Fulham. This isn't what this should be. This this should be Fulham fans in the home end, Newcastle fans in the away end, and that's how it should be. But the fact of the matter is too many Newcastle fans were in home sections. And after Fulham tried so hard to prevent Liverpool fans from being in that home end for the semi-final, it's like they didn't care for this cup game. Um, so it's it was one step forward, two steps back sort of mentality. And... Sammy, I feel really, really sad this morning, actually. Really, really sad. Yeah, I can, I can fully vouch for that. And <laughs> I can't believe that they just went, oh, well, we're not selling these tickets, right? What, um, should we pull the away fans in the home end lever? Yeah, let's do, let's, let's do that. Let's, let's allow that floodgate just to, uh, to open. It just I seemed mean, Jack, too what- easy. It just seemed too easy for Newcastle fans to be in the home end. And, and it's, not like, it's not like the Fulham fans were standing up going, well, you can't do that. Like they're visibly getting up and cheering a goal in the home end, and the, and Hammers and sorry the Johnny Haynes fans like sort of looking around, looking confused, but wouldn't wouldn't argue it, wouldn't go, you can't do that, you're in the wrong end. But when you're so outnumbered, Jack, I mean, it's not like what are you going to do when I mean it's one thing when there's like one little no, but no, but like, no, but like one individual gets up in a possible fifty people, you can be like you're a Newcastle fan, you shouldn't be here. No one said anything. It was too 
too that's passive. That's the apathy. That's the apathy, that's the I think, apathy. that's fallen on the fan base. I think uh, that's, I think that's, I understand mm, it almost in this scenario. Yeah. You know, I was there yeah. in the Liverpool end at Anfield when there was three Liverpool fans in our section with Liverpool hats and, you know, everyone, everyone got, got a little bit like, got a little bit fractures to be honest because everyone wanted them out and stuff and you can, you can understand that they were real minority and stuff. But last night I'd just been like, oh, crack or whatever, this club's a shambles. I mean, one thing, Jack, that was interesting, the club went out of their way, it felt like, to him to give the attendance figure in the first half, which obviously yeah. I've never been in the press box. I don't exactly know how it works, but is, is a little bit unusual. So so usually what happens is second half, around the 60th minute, 62nd minute, um, the, the a sheet of paper will be passed around the press box of the attendance of the evening. And you go, oh, that's interesting. If you want to add that to your article or whatever, just note it down or tweet it, whatever. I don't really think much of it. In the second, but the fact it came out in the first half, I looked at it and I went, you've done that on purpose, haven't you? And the the number was 18,960 people. And, you know, it's not a sellout, obviously. There were people missing last night. But that number will have satisfied the client. Like they said, they were satisfied with the number of people inside the ground. And I just thought, they tried so hard to get that attendance pushed out early so they could just sort of justify the whole evening. And I just kind of looked at it and just went... Uh, that's the moment I sort of lost. I just, I just went, something's not right here. Something's not right. Um, it feels like the club are, are really against us right now. And uh, I don't know. I feel really upset about this whole thing. Honestly, like the more I think about it, the more I feel like I want to burst into tears really. Cause it, it just feels like, obviously I'm a Fulham fan and everyone knows that when I'm in the press box, I'm a Fulham fan and I, you know, got to be professional. But at that point I just went, I, I'm a scene ticket holder. I want to, I want to support my team you know week in week out home and away but it just feels like right now we are you know just just being forced to sort of yeah it's, I, I don't i don't know i don't know i'm lost for words really it's really it's really peak it's really peak yeah. i think it's laughable that that one of their their moves to lessen the blow was to do something out of the ordinary handing out the attendance figures to people whose literal job it is as journalists is to find stories and narrative as if these people are in that press box regularly. You know, Peter Rutzler is in that press box every single time we play at home. And he's not just going to sit there and be like, oh, it's come out earlier than usual. That's nothing, nothing going on here. You know, I mean, it's just such a baffling move because that alone creates more narrative about the club know that they're doing wrong and they're trying to put out fires as it's happening. It's just, it just, I, I don't get it as a move at all. It's, it's so blatantly obvious. And I think this is their PR strategy at times. Almost is like the rest of the world are idiots. We're just going to pull the wool over their eyes. We can all see what's happening. Yeah. But I, I mean, I mean, Tom, just trying to move us away from, from last night. What are the next steps? Where on earth does everyone go from here? I mean, I, we had a lot of messages. We'll get into them in the second part of the pod. You know, when's the next boycott? What are the trust going to do? Should we do something? Do we all do a walkout? I've got no ideas, actually. I, for once, <laughs> I've got nothing. Well, I think a point that it's important to make is that with issues around ticketing, ticket pricing particularly, this goes back. I mean, it, you know, I, I sort of really mark the, this really starting. Um, and I know there was stuff before, but really that Liverpool game the start of the season before last um, and at that point when it started to get a little bit of notice and attention outside of the hardcore Fulham fan base and what we've seen happen and I think what last night showed is that actually um, and what they'll be most annoyed about I think and what was behind the desperate attempt to try to inflate that crowd figure by you know giving tickets away allowing people effect- begging people to buy tickets effectively letting away fans in at every bit of the ground just to try to get the numbers up is that actually this has got now much wider attention than it had before um, and that you know the sense that's coming from uh, other sports groups of other clubs, not just including the ones we're playing, but more widely, more in the media, understanding that what Fulham, Fulham's approach to this is and the approach to the way in which they're deciding to, to try to um, increase ticket prices over a period of time, it isn't just an issue that the Fulham fan base are aware of. So I think that is 
important to note that, Rich. So that, that has come as a result of a range of different things, organized, organic, you know, uh, well-directed uh, questions, and a whole range of different factors have got us to that point. Um, so we shouldn't we shouldn't uh, downplay that. Um, in terms of what happens next, look, I'm not involved. Well, I'm a member, obviously, but I'm not I'm not on the board or I'm not um, a chair of the trust anymore. Um, but I don't think there's necessarily a shortage of ideas. But you've got to also be cognizant of the fact that a lot of this, a lot of these tactical considerations, are quite acute and have to be, because it is very easy uh, to fall into traps that can be set for you in in uh, under underemphasizing what's happening. Now, I think if there had been an organised boycott last night, actually, um, they'd have put even more effort into trying to uh, into trying to undermine it and disprove it. The fact that it sort of happened and it just happened because people made that decision is, mu- in some ways, more powerful. That doesn't mean there shouldn't be organised um, uh, uh, efforts to draw further attention to it at, at, at specific games, but it does mean that in the heat of the moment and on social media and everything else that you know absolutist sort of demands for immediate boycott of every game or walk out uh, you know or a range of different things you've got to bear in mind you've got to take as much of that fan base with you as possible and that means you've got to give it a bit of thought before you get to those points and that's you know it's not it's not about saying something shouldn't happen um i think it's just about the right note of caution about how you make it most effective I think timing is important as well. I think last night, the timing of it was good because it was on television. There also had been, you know, not a huge amount of football actually going on yesterday. So there was a lot of focus on this game. We had a long build up, which meant they had time to come to it on on the sort of the pundits had a chance to speak about it as well. And I think that's that's important is because you just again you're generating sort of words around what's going on. It's you know sometimes it's difficult you look on twitter you, it turns into a bit of an echo chamber and as fans we all think that everyone's on our side but it can be within that fulham bubble and i think actually what hits the Khans most is when that spreads they, they they don't like this wide pr that starts to pick up about them doing wrong and we've seen it in the past that so often after moments like this where there's some controversy in the club usually some pr spinned article will come out at a friendly newspaper about what a wonderful man shahid khan is so I think you, we need that wider narrative going on. And so picking the right match for our next move, I think, is also very important. It's important not to rush it because it needs to get as much attention as possible. Um, let's try and discuss the game <laughs> um, that happened yesterday. Um, I mean, Jack, considering that it was a... I, I wouldn't say it was the second string Fulham. It was maybe a one and a half string Fulham. Um, against a pretty much full strength Newcastle. It was a match of moments, I thought. Like, uh, it was going, the first goal was always going to be crucial. It's always crucial in most football matches, particularly in, in Fulham matches. Thought we gave it a really good go in the first half, but it also felt like as soon as Longstaff scored and that goal counted, and actually, I, I understand the reasons that that counted. I think. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, that's fine. I know that like it, it looks crap, but like it was literally our disallowed goal once when, when Josh Madger scored against Spurs that uh, led to that rule um, happening where it only has to be the goal scorer that, uh, that can, that can handball therefore as a goal disallowed. Um, it, it, yeah, I, I thought it was an all right performance, but then again, it's kind of same old Fulham. Once we're one nil down, it just looks like we have nothing. Yeah, I, I thought we contested the game really well up until their goal. It was pretty even, Stevens, really, up until that moment. Um, I thought Muniz was holding the ball up pretty well and actually doing okay. And um, Harry Wilson down the right was a threat. And uh, yeah, I thought we, we were we were good. Sasha Lukic, for me, was not great. And, and Pereira, again, for me, I think that was my final straw of Andres Pereira last night. Um, but their goal is so silly because just just clear the ball. Tete and Bobby Reed are just getting mixed up with each other and just clear it. It's it's so easy, and then it just bobbles around. And it was a, it was a good finish from Longstaff, to be fair. But um, yeah, it, it felt from there like, and then obviously Harry Wilson goes off injured. That's a nightmare in itself. And then and then suddenly we're chasing the game. And it, it, the second goal was way too easy. Uh, I think Botman won the first header, and Burn of course scores. At Craven Cottage, and you know, from two 0 the game's dead. 
the atmosphere is dead. The whole game's dead. The whole tie is dead. It's good night. God bless. And we were very passive in trying to get back into the game. Made a few substitutions. Kenny missed an absolute sitter in the final moments. And Newcastle sort of just going through the motions and just seeing the game out. And they actually, you know, defended very, very well at, at times. And Gordon on the break and Isaac on the break, they looked pretty decent. And, you know, Newcastle were a fantastic team. Let's not take anything away from them. They deserved, overall, they deserved the victory. Um, and, yeah, it, it, it looked like when we don't have Paulinia, we look exposed in midfield and that's quite that's quite worrying. Um, yeah, Lukic for me was really passive in one moment. He lost the ball and Isaac managed to get in past Reem and go round the keeper, but he, he, uh, he, he overran it, went out of play. But the overall performance was, it was okay, but nothing to write home about really. And what annoyed me most was um, the fact of the matter was that Marco Silva had his press conference and the final question it was a Newcastle journalist. He really tried to rile up Marco, like really unnecessarily trying to ask him about the handball situation, which Marco had already mentioned in the press conference beforehand in a previous question. And he just kept going at him back and forth, back and forth. And then the, the press conference finishes as usual. Um, it said, okay, that's the end of the press conference because that was the last question. It wasn't like they ended it abruptly. And then Lee Ryder, who, who's a, a, a journalist from, I think, the Newcastle Chronicle, He's tweeted this tweet, which has now subsequently been deleted. That's the theme of the evening last night. It's like it's, He says, Marco Silva storms out of press conference after back and forth of journalists. That's not what happened. He just answered the question. He then answered the subsequent question because, or do you think it was a penalty? No, I already gave my opinion, blah, blah, blah. And then he just walked out the room as like you usually would. He does not storm out. And of course, that creates a huge reaction from the Newcastle fans going, crybaby cry Marco Silva, um, you know, uh, he can't take the defeat, like hold that, whatever, whatever, you, you know, the tribalism you want to say. It creates this whole false narrative about how Marco Silva's perceived the whole evening or how he's reacted to the evening. And it just wasn't true. And then he just had to delete the tweet and, well, Lee's going to look stupid for doing that. I wonder who told him to delete it because it just was not true. And and then Fulham fans reading that, well, well he stormed out. He must be really angry. Oh God, you know, what's he? He must be thinking. You know, he, he must be fed up. It's completely fabricated. That did not happen. It was the most normal thing in the whole world. So I just want to make that very very clear because if Fulham fans were worried by seeing that tweet, there's nothing. There's nothing to worry about in that sense. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I completely, I saw kind of that happen. And um, yeah, Peter also confirmed the same to me that that, that, that wasn't the case. Um, right. Dan, I mean, it does just strike to me that on the pitch, um, like there's a reason that the top clubs who go far in competitions need deep squads. And I, I just felt like last night, it's all just got on top of us. It, the whole thing has got on top of us. It's been great getting to the semis of the Carabao, but there's two legs plus all the other games in December. I know we got that kind of like 10 day break, but after Chelsea before Liverpool, but then when you consider there was such big match build up. It kind of felt like the world's biggest break for Fulham. It's all just, it's all just got too much. Like trying to fight on all these fronts is, is, has walloped us. And, and now we still got like a lot of games to go in the Premier League, big games to come in the Premier League, plus just being you know, to lose three players to AFCON. And I know that Foda Balatore is not a first team starter, but he would have been useful depth um, in all of these matches. Um, I just think it's got too much. And and partially you can blame, you know, lack of investment in the summer, etc. But for me, trying to fight on all these fronts and you lose three players at the key moment, just just can't do it. It's just, it's, it's impossible for me. Yeah, I, the squad depth isn't there. But I, whilst I do bemoan the lack of investment in it, I think a lot of teams outside the big six struggle with squad depth. You know, it's 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 so hard to find that balance of you know you've got a trade off, right? You've got a a really strong core, which I think Fulham have, with a a weaker squad overall. But you've got to spread that money out somehow, and I think the the only two options are that or have a massive squad. You know, you look at like Forest, huge squad but maybe individually across that pitch, they don't stack up against us. And so it's it's a real, it's all well and good to us saying we want that squad depth, but it's got to be financed by wages. It's not even necessarily the transfer fees. It's the wages that need to, to finance that that are huge. And so it is difficult. And as you say, I mean, losing, I think if we'd have had those three, if we'd have had Bassi, Iwobi and Balotore 
the past month would have been probably very different because you've got rotation options in there. You've also got, I mean, I think Iwobi and Bassi play most of the core minutes across this past month, which then mean that Andres Pereira, Willian have got a little bit more in their legs as well as you don't have to flog Issa Diop and Tossin. So I think it, it is difficult. I think I do think on the whole, we actually played quite well last night. I thought our actual control of the game was really good. And in terms of running it, I thought we were the better team. We had the possession, we had the territory. I think a lot of the game was played in Newcastle's sort of, maybe not final third, but on the edge of their final third. But the obvious issues are there is that we, we really just can't create goal scoring opportunities. It, it, it's nuts. We've scored six goals in our last 10 matches. Like that's really and 10 in concerning. the two before it. <laughs> like that's that's a problem and we we I think everyone will have felt it but we we could have played a lot of more football last night and we still wouldn't have scored we just didn't look like scoring and I think I agree with Jack I thought Rodrigo Munez did all right but it's just that there is something about how we're set up at the moment and I don't necessarily think it's Marco Silva's fault all in all but we just don't have the bodies in the right areas to score goals the number of times that a ball comes into the box, and yeah, you're not always going to win the first header, that's fine. But you see the ball sort of breaks to the edge of the box and that's where you expect someone to be running onto it, someone arriving late, and you're just like, oh no, it's it's three Newcastle players who are going to sweep this up and counter. We just don't seem to have that instinct to get into those dangerous areas. And that's a, a real concern. And when you pair that with the fact that we have these defensive clangers in us, and actually we, we, we were lucky in a way last night because we had more than two defensive clangers that should have resulted in goals. I'm thinking there was that moment at, at nil-nil when Robinson and Dekordover reed had a weird moment where Bobby went to pass it back to Robinson. He wasn't quite expecting it. And they had a great chance. I think it was Jacob Murphy, who I think was almost surprised by the fact he got this opportunity and, and, and Rodak did well to save it. We've just got these clangers in us that when you're not scoring at the other end, you cannot afford to make those really, really silly errors. It's not a bit of brilliance. It's just like brain fades. It's it's concerning. Yeah. Um, Tom, your your thoughts on the football last night before we, uh, before we take a break? I, I thought the sort of until the first goal, we did quite well. Just it's the same frustration. It just didn't seem to be like we just couldn't do the final thing, couldn't put the ball in the net. And I agree, I thought Muniz looked like he was up for it and really trying to prove a point in the first sort of part of the game. But, you know, then we've, and then we faded. I mean, look, I think it's always a challenge when you look at the fact that there is, after the FA Cup fourth round, there's a midweek Premier League fixture round, which means for all but a handful of clubs, they're going to have at least one eye on that. Um, and that affects, you know, the teams that get put out and, you know, we're not the only ones affected by this, but if some of the players, that, as you say, weren't at AFCON, or AFCON wasn't happening this year, or whatever, then there would have been a there would have been a few more options. But that's something that pretty much most Premier League teams have have to sort of try and work their way and handle. I didn't think we'd play badly, but it just didn't feel like it was ever going to be our night, unfortunately. No. All right. Well, we'll take a break there. Um, afterwards, we've got some questions, and at the end of the pod, we will preview Everton. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast is Sammy here with Dan Cook, Tom Greatrix, Jack Kelly. Before we uh, preview Everton, uh, let's answer and uh, some of your questions. I mean, some of these aren't questions, they're more statements, which I'll try and read out um, as well. Um, this one from Rachel, I'm going straight to you on this, Tom. Um, given the strained relationship between the club and the fan base, should we be concerned about the lack of a fan advisory board at Fulham? I believe we are one of the last Premier League cl- uh, clubs to form one. Yeah, all Premier League clubs supposedly should have one in place. Fulham have been dragging their feet about it. Um, uh, it's not, in some ways, it's not surprising when you know and you you're aware that various people at the club sort of make 
comments behind their behind their hands. People say, "Oh, well, you know, our organised trust isn't really representative of supporters." Yeah, it, it's part of the same malaise, frankly, and also uh, a lack of wider awareness and intelligence in that you know many other clubs. Premier League clubs, including those that have had at times a fractious relationship with their fan bases, understand that the way you resolve things properly and deal with things and develop better understanding is by having that structured dialogue. That's why those rules are being introduced in the first place. I think it belies a lack of uh, a lack of confidence in their own ability that Fulham are taking a pretty what seems to be a pretty juvenile attitude to it. Uh, ultimately. Eventually, that'll be something that's going to be the remit of the regulators to deal with. So I thought if Fulham had any sense, they'd sort it out soon. But there doesn't seem to be any sign of it at the moment. Yeah. Uh, here for the Fulham, uh, Dan asks, uh, what's a realistic next step to be heard and noticed by the board? How the club have acted regarding ticket sales for this game was nothing short of disgraceful. I mean, you kind of referenced it earlier. I think that... I think I, I, I think you're right. There's some thinking's going to have to go into it. But also, I'm all for just organically things to happen. I think that was the best thing that happened yesterday was organically things happened. People took things into their own hands. They didn't have to be told by the trust to do this or to do that or to hold up this or to hold up that or anyone like it organically happened. And I'm all for a a chant or two to happen at Everton. Someone to bring a banner out of bedsheets. I'm all for just things to happen organically because I do sometimes think that's, that's that's when things can be effective. Don't know if you agree. Yeah, no, I, I do agree to an extent. I think there has to be, like, it does have to be constant. Like, I think we have to not let this drop because obviously we now we, we've got through the, the two, the, the biggest game of our season and then the follow-up to that being the Newcastle game where we, we made a, a big gesture. I think the, the dialogue needs to continue. I think... I've got my frustrations with the supporters trust as, as a lot of people do, but I think one of the things that they're right with because of the way the club respond is that I implore people to just keep on sending the supporters trust emails and messages because so often when the, the notes come out, Fulham's response to, to these issues that get raised by the fans is that they think it's just a small minority of fans that the supporters trust are amplifying their voice. Now we know that's not true, but because the FST don't quite have the the numbers or the proof to back up how many people are, th- are thinking this. It's the the club seem to just fob them off. So I think that there's one thing is, is is being loud about it as well is continuing to be loud, speaking up, putting out messages, putting out tweets, sending emails, and then I think you follow that up with a big action. And now if that's a walk out or a walk in, whatever it is, I, I am fully behind it. Something that. I think the difficulty with the cup game was the fact that we did that boycott, like an unorganized boycott, is that the club were able to work out a way to put bums on seats. Now, if it comes to a league game where you have, I think it's something like 15,000 season ticket holders we've got, right? Now, if if you get a, a large percentage of them joining in a, you know, not coming in until the 18th minute or walking out on the 72nd minute or whatever it is, there's nothing the club can do to spin that because the seats will be empty. There will be no one there. Mm. And I think that's a, a that, that's the next big message, I think. Yeah, I actually think that you're you're completely right there because they can't they can't exactly replace you, can they? I mean, yeah. try, they might try. <laughs> cardboard cutouts. I'm trying to think. Uh, <laughs> like Leeds did in the in the COVID season. Maybe uh, maybe they'll have a uh, a shed full of them uh, ready to go. Uh, let's um, go on to the football. Uh, Jack, some positivity, which I'll send your way. Uh, Aaron Wise says, if you told me during the height of the Metro debacle before the season started that come the end of Jan, we'd be 13th, being in a cup semi-final, I'd be more than happy. Yes, substantial changes need to be made on and off the pitch, but this isn't a wild regression as some are making out. No, you're right. And actually, that's an important point to make. Like we, we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast about the low feeling in the fan base. And ultimately, we've been in situations like this before with, with, with ticket prices, but but we've been like in the relegation zone. We've been fighting relegation. So not only is it off the pitch, it's been a bit of a mess, but on the pitch, it's a huge mess. Um, so I don't know how we got through that. That was super depressing. But um, now, like we, we are an established Premier League team you know and and I think we do have enough to stay up this season we've got a nice little cushion over the relegation zone I think if we don't pick up points soon we will again start looking over our shoulder however we have games where we can pick up points Everton 
Burnley, uh, to name a few, to name two. Um, it, it's sad now that we've we've gone from wow, we're in a cup semi final, we're nine minutes away from Wembley, to all we've got now is the rest of the Premier League campaign, um, just to sort of consolidate and go again. Um, it is weird how football changes in such a quick period of time. However, you know, Marco's getting the best out. Marco, yeah, Marco's getting the best out of these players. Um, and, you know, we're still doing well. And Raul Jimenez, who who couldn't score, suddenly started scoring goals and he'll come on. Hopefully he'll start scoring again soon. And it's not all bad. You know, we're going we're gonna to finish, hopefully, 17th or above and receive a nice... Uh, amount of money from from TV revenue and and you know we keep ticking along in the Premier League. It's just it's just this this cloud of negativity off the pitch that's that's the one well is it, the thing that's making everyone a little bit upset. But but on the pitch, it's not you know amazing, but it's not terrible. So we'll, we'll, we'll take it. Yeah. I think the the one thing that maybe the, the rest of the season holds for us is hoping that we get moments like scalps or, or or big moments that just that we look back on and remember because I think it's easy for this season to fizzle out I hey, we you know it, it if things go as they should over the next month or so there there shouldn't be really any concern and then you're looking at at games like I don't know Old Trafford away you know Manchester United away moments like that where we can just look back and be like ah oh, that was that was the year that we finally got that win at Old Trafford again you know yeah. or just last minute winners or just just something just to soak up a bit of excitement, you know. Obviously, we've got the other games like City at home towards the end of the season, Liverpool at home. If we can pick up scalps in games like that, it would be wonderful. And I think it would just raise what might be a bit of a flat end to the season. Yeah. The, the, I, moment, I, the moment is going to be if we manage to win at Turf Moor. Because that'll be the moment. <laughs> I've been going... Every game we've played at Turf Moor since 1992, when we went 1-0 up and Sean Farrell scored and we lost 5-2, and partly because it's not that far from Scotland, I was living in Scotland for a while, I've managed somehow to go every game. And the last few years, last few times, I'm like, it's a fixture I look for first because we haven't won there since 1951. One day it's going to happen. And I'm determined I'm going to be there when it happens. And I'm never going to bloody place ever again. But <laughs> if that happens next weekend, then... You know, for me, that'll be a that'll that'll be a high for the season. That'll be a moment. I'd like you just if we win one nil uh, to go to that cricket club, just be on the balcony, just some sort of like gladiatorial like <laughs> celebration. Make it all about you. Just like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I would dear. love to see it. I'm really gutted. I can't go to Turf Moor. It's one of my favourite away days um, on the on the calendar. I'm genuinely really upset about it. Um, so let's look ahead then to Everton on Tuesday. And and Dan, I feel like this game has come at a good time, but also maybe a bad time as well, because I feel like this is a game that we can win, but also we kind of need to win it as well. And I'm just hoping there's not too much of a hangover. And it goes both ways, right? It could A, be a really good opportunity just to get everyone feeling good again if, if we got a win. But obviously a defeat would just really, I think, send this into a little bit of a downward spiral. Um, Everton are in a very bad place themselves. They've got injuries and they lost in the last minute to Luton. And I think... Everton are regressing a little bit more towards where we thought, you know, they went on such a good run when they got the points deduction. That was, I don't know. It felt like it was a huge, like fueled massively by momentum and just a bit of anger. And, and they've regressed towards the side that I thought they were going to. I thought they were going to be a side that struggled this season, regardless of the 10 point deduction. Now, had it not been for the 10 points or if they get that reversed, they'll be comfortable, but they're very much not comfortable. Um, it's a massive game for Fulham. We did rest players as well yesterday. So I'm hoping that we can go into this with a little bit of, of freshness. Yeah. I, I remember Everton at home last season. That was a right sod of a game. From memory, that was that was nil-nil and we just absolutely dominated from minute one and just couldn't put it in the net. We've got a weird record against them in the past couple of years because I, I think frequently, barring that game, frequently Everton seemed to be the better side and have the upper hand in games and we just keep on sneaking results. Like I think back to the first game of this season, we were not good and we snuck that Carabao Cup quarterfinal. I thought we were pretty poor. Everton sort of 
muzzled us and suffocated us and we came out of it eventually so i think that the way they set up under deitch makes it very difficult to play against the the ability to sort of pin you in your own third by just continuously pumping balls forward and focusing on swarming that second ball means we at times we can get stuck but i think again as like on the pitch i think we're a better team and i think we hopefully we can let that show you get your your key players on the ball your key creators william you get tom kearney on the ball you try and utilize anthony robinson up the flank i i think this is a game we should absolutely be looking at getting three points from. And if we're talking about goal woes, I think they've got five goals in eight games. I was just having a look. So I think my money might be on a nil-nil draw, but I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if there was more than a goal in this. It's going to be a tight game. I don't think either team's going to run away with it, bar you know a, a moment like a red card or something. It's going to be tight. Everton don't get, in general, walloped out of games. It's, it's going to be, again, about those little moments. We've got to fall on the right side of them because we didn't against Newcastle. Yeah, I mean, and, and Jack, like the form is is alarming other than obviously we've had like moments like, Ars- I mean, the, the, look at our last kind of six, seven games and just the Arsenal win just stands out like a beacon. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it saved us a little bit. I mean, we'd be in so much bother if we'd have lost that game, which would have been completely understandable. Um I think though this is a back to basics. You know, we we've we've played very difficult games really since Christmas. Even if you include like a trip to Bournemouth, which was which wasn't easy. We haven't had any games against sides in the bottom half of the league. So I'm just hoping this is a bit of a back to basics. Come on, Fulham, find your form, find your rhythm again. Just, but. My my worry is that an early goal for Everton or something like that will not will knock our confidence for six. I, I just think that, that that every game since New Year's Eve has just been really intense, and there's been quite a lot riding on it. You know, semi final of a Carabao Cup, it's huge, and it's probably knocked a lot out of us in terms of energy. And you know, finally we're back to proceedings at the Premier League. We're playing against a team who are you know, again, fighting for their lives. So hopefully, I don't really know what sort of point I'm making, but but, but hopefully the intensity of the of the game obviously will still be there, but it won't be as as grand as it was against Liverpool. Um, even the Arsenal game, there was some pressure on us to win that game, despite it being Arsenal. Looking at Everton's form, it's mad. I mean, they, they lost to Luton yesterday in the FA Cup. They beat Palace in, in the FA Cup to get to the fourth round by a goal to nil. They drew to Villa nil-nil at Goodison Park. They drew to Palace in the third round to get the replay and I was at that game it was, it was terrible awful and then they since then they lost four in a row in all comps before that to Wolves 3-0 to City to Spurs and to us in the Carabao Cup their, their run of form has been dreadful one win in seven eight bloody hell one win ours in eight is sim- ours is similar yeah and you know, definitely, ours is definitely similar. It, it could be an absolutely terrible game. It could be, it be, could be terrible. Um, but you know, we're at home. We've got to bring the game to them. I remember there was an injustice in the last time we played. The Willian should have had a penalty. Uh, Pickford yes. made a load of saves to, to that Serbian striker. So I mean, bring the game to them. You know, you know, we, we've had two really disappointing defeats to Liverpool and to Newcastle. Get the crowd back on side again um, in a footballing sense. And, and bring the game to Everton and, you know, Fulham fans make make the noise and, and, and try and get the boys over the line. I think someone that actually could be really important on Tuesday night, and he, he was in the Carabao Cup game at, at Goodison, is Tossin. There are, against this Everton side, and we've seen it over the, the years with Tossin at the back, that his ability to just seemingly win every single header and it is just like invaluable against games like this. Everton are going to get it, go long. They're going to get it out wide at times and put it into the box. And at Goodison, he was exceptional at just winning everything. And I think that's going to be important is that that foundation starts with him at the back and probably Issa Diop, uh, you know, two very aerially dominant centre-backs, I think is exactly what we need in this game and then yeah as 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 we've said you then have to try and let our quality show but it's going to start with you know real grit and solidity at the back that is going to allow our our quality players to shine through i think um tom your prediction for for the match do you see it do you see fulham getting back to to winning ways here 
note of positivity I'll take from it is that when we've had disappointing results and a couple of disappointing results in the past, um, in the past couple of years, I think Marcus Silva's got an ability to be able to then, you know, reset. And I'm I'm hopeful we'll, we'll get that on uh, uh, on Tuesday night. Um, I sort of think they're going to be hard to break down Everton because they're desperate for points. They're really desperate for points. Um, but I reckon we'll do it. I reckon it'll be a narrow win, but we'll win 1-0. I'd love that. Uh, and obviously, uh, one other thing that's going on, it's kind of all systems go at the moment. There's the transfer deadline uh, on on Wednesday. Um, yeah, I know. It's just out, out of all yeah, the madness. The stream. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. Get, get it fired up, Jack. Um, any? Do you think we must sign anyone? I mean, the, the, it's gone very quiet, which is often the way, though, with Full, and there is often a calm before the storm. Um, and I'm Sammy. hopeful about the Andre. We, we, I mean, literally like a week, you know, the last Thursday, not last Thursday, the Thursday before, there was a proposal on the table, 30 million plus 5 million add-ons, Andre. You know, we were almost in here we go territory. And I was like, this is, this is huge. This is massive. And since then, nothing's happened. No one said anything. It's like he it, it doesn't even exist. Um, I'm worried that we're not going to get anyone in. And I made the point to Marco a couple of weeks ago. I said it on the Jack and Joe show a couple of weeks ago. I said to him, we have two domestic loans that you used last season in Dan James and Shane Duffy. And when Shane Duffy made permanent, it was then Cedric. Are you looking to explore that market? What's uh, at all? I wasn't like saying it passively aggressively. I was genuinely curious whether, whether he, when he wanted to decide two players on loan. And he basically said he doesn't really like signing players on loan. He likes to have his own players permanently. And if an opportunity- He joined the wrong club then, Christ. <laughs> if the opportunity came about, where he could he could sign a couple of players on loan to help with squad depth, he would explore it. But he gave no definitive answer as to whether we would actually use those two you know, loan loan deals. And Joe Sanson, very good friend, has just tweeted about it, saying, you know, we still have these two domestic loan slots. That should have been something we addressed right at the beginning of the, of the window. I'm amazed with the amount of squad depth that we that we don't have currently. Awobi away, Bassi away, Balotore away. We didn't at least look at it earlier on in the window, whether we do it on deadline day and get two in on the door would be very Fulham. And I would, you know, I think everyone would be fairly pleased with that because we do need more bodies. And um, that, that, that is something that it's almost like a no brainer. But if, if Marco, Marco calls the shots, he doesn't want loan players in that. That's fair enough. And we respect him and we, we have a, you know trust in him that, that that's the right decision. Is it? But I, I find it a bit baffling. I enjoyed the start of the way you said that, Jack, as if, I don't know, you, you collared Marco Silva. I said to him, what about the loans? <laughs> I inquired, I inquired. <laughs> Domestic loans, Marco, I keep telling you. <laughs> um, Dan, oh, any predictions dear. for signing? <laughs> I, I, I mean, usually we see something, don't we? It, it's rare. I know that we are like the deadline day kings. And, and until Forrest actually came around, there there was no one anywhere near our level. We we were clear out in front on deadline day, but the the stuff usually does start pre deadline day, like the rumours of the players. It 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 swells before the last twenty four hours. So I am losing hope quite rapidly, and it's weird because this window seems to have flown by. Like it's, I, I'd completely lost track of the fact that we've only got a few days left because there's been so little, not just at Fulham, but like across the Premier League, there's been so little. And it's because I think in general, clubs don't have the money. They're worried about it. But I agree with Jack. We, I think we need a winger. I think we've got, we're stale out wide at the moment. We need someone to add a bit of oomph out wide and whatever's going on with the Dharma Traore is coming at a cost to us because we, we lack someone who can come off the bench and add that dynamism and you get into that tricky area with Harry Wilson where you like, you want him to start, but you also want him to have that impact off the bench. And if he starts, you don't have an impact sub, but if he doesn't start, then you lack impetus from the start. You know, so it's like, they're like this horrible little cycle. Uh, and I also think we need a, an extra body in midfield as, as much as I really try and get on board with Sasha Lukic. You know, I sort of there are elements to his play that I like watching. I just don't think he's cut out for it. You know, there was there was a, a moment yesterday if, for those watching on the telly might have heard it when he got slated for how slow he looked chasing after. I think it was it might have been Kieran Trippier herring down the right and 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 Sasha Lukic looked like he was carrying a a trailer behind him like he was 
he was slow. And I think that when you pair that with the fact that he's maybe not the best out of possession, he's just not, there's no situation where I think I want Sasha Lukic on the pitch. And so I think we need another body in there. Those are the two areas I'd focus on, but it just doesn't seem likely. Yeah. Yeah, well, we'll uh, we'll see what happens on uh, on Wednesday night. Whether Fulham bring anyone across the line, Jack, are we doing a stream? I haven't actually asked you yet. Let's do let's do the content That's plan. The plan. On there. It's, yeah, the, it's yeah. the plan because because we actually we're not doing a Jack and Joe show until after the Everton game anyway. We're not previewing Everton on the Jack and Joe show um, because we just don't have the time for it. So um, yeah. that will be a, not only a live stream, but it'll be a look back on the Everton game. So tune in and uh, and, and watch us live. That'd be fun. There we go. Okay, so if you're around on uh, on Wednesday night and uh, you need a little bit of a fix as to what's going on, uh, tune into the Jack and Joe show, which will be live on YouTube. The podcast will then be out on Thursday. We normally would record it on Wednesday, but we're going to wait till Thursday so that we can kind of react to whatever, if anything, happens on uh, transfer deadline day. So that's when uh, the pod will be back. Uh, Dan, all we need to do today is name the show. What would you like to go for? Uh, I mean... People are going to be crying out that it's a fix and some weird form of Fulhamish nepotism, but I've got to give it to to Sir Cam Ramsey, our wordsmith, the, the SW6 wordsmith with empty seat defeat. That will do for me. Very good, very good. Yes, yeah, slight netism, I, uh, but uh, it, it is it is good. All right, we'll go with that. Uh, thank you very much uh, for listening today and thank you to my guest, Tom Greatrex. Lovely to have you on. Thanks, Sonny. Jack Kelly, thank you. Thanks, Sammy. Feeling better now? I think what 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 people listening obviously won't realise is that Jack has done this entire podcast um, with uh, a white hoodie, but the hood up over his head, uh, like he's mourning. Um, <laughs> it's the high mountain hair, really. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> It's also a black and white hoodie as well. It's as if he's just mourning Fulham. Um, <laughs> uh, and Dan Cook, thank you. Thank you very much, Sammy. Uh, have a lovely start to your week. We will be back on Thursday. Come on, you whites.